For humans to live, we need food. So how are we going to survive when we begin to live and work in faraway places in space? It's really fun to see all these leafy greens that we've been growing in space the last few years because the astronauts can eat them right away. Hi, I'm Jim Green, and this is Gravity Assist, NASA's interplanetary talk show. We're going to explore the inside workings of NASA and meet fascinating people who make space missions happen. I'm here with Dr. Christina Johnson, and she is a NASA postdoc fellow at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Christina works on a variety of projects related to growing plants in space. Welcome, Christina, to Gravity Assist. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. You know, when we think about growing plants in space, what are the kind of challenges that we have to consider and how do we overcome them? Oh, that's such a great question. So um, when we grow plants here on Earth, we have gravity, we have good airflow, we have the sunlight. And when we get into space, we lose a lot of that. We, uh, we can't access the sun because it's not safe to have that much sunlight in the, the crew quarters and we're growing plants in the crew quarters or in the, the space occupied by the crew. And so we need to bring in our own lights. So we use LED lighting because it's very lightweight and we can bring just the, the right lights that we want. Then we also have to think about airflow. In space, you get pockets of air. You get pockets with high CO2 and, and low CO2 and those plants need a more homogenous air source. And so we use fans, we bring fans in to move the air around the plants. Another thing that we run into is water. We love water, plants need water, and we need to deliver that water in a way that also delivers a little bit of air and oxygen to those roots. And they'll suffocate without getting a little bit of air along with the water. And you don't really think about that because here on earth, you have a lot of mixing in the water. And uh, in space, you don't get that mixing. So those are some really unique problems that we, we have to face. Yeah, boy, no kidding. Uh, that, that sounds like a pretty <laughs> tough challenge to me. So, you know, when we take plants up, or actually, what do we do? Do we take the seeds up and grow the seeds, or do we actually have starter plants? What's the best way to do that? Oh, that's a great question. So there are a lot of different ways um, that we can do this, and a lot of different ways that have been done over the decades that we've been growing plants in space. But our favorite way right now is to send up seeds and grow things from seeds. Wow, that's phenomenal. So, so you know, so it's not like you got seeds floating around in the cabin. You got some sort of containment. Uh, what does that look like? And how do you how do you get the seeds to get going? Is it just from light and water or what kind of nutrients do they have to have? So when we bring our seeds up, they're stuck between two wicks or they are stuck on seed films, which um, are really great uh, invention that we came up with here at Kennedy Space Center. We have this, this film that the seeds are embedded in, and then we can take that film out and you know, have it in a filing cabinet, basically, and put that in, in the, the hardware when we want to grow them. So that one was a great innovation. Then we also have, um, I've been playing around with preceding mats, but we haven't sent those to space yet. Um, where I have the mats um, that I'm going to be growing my plants on, uh, the seeds are glued down on that and, and very stable. 
and then uh, we could plant them and add water. So the, the key for getting germination going is adding water. And we can choose to add light at the same time, or we can choose to add light a little bit later. And that's actually something I'm looking at too. At what point do we need to add that light to have really good growth? Do we need to add it right away? Different seeds actually have different requirements. Some plants really germinate the best when they're in the dark and other plants germinate the best when they're in the light. And uh, so determining which crops we're going to grow, that's one of those little tests we have to do before we decide to grow them in space. So what are the plants that we have really been successful in growing on the International Space Station? One of those workhorse plants that can grow really well is Mizuna. Mizuna. It's a mustard plant. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one's been growing in pretty much every platform uh, since we started growing plants in space. Uh, it grew on Mir, it grew on the shuttle, it grows on the space station. Um, we've, we've had many successful harvests with it and in many different kinds of plant hardware. That one's, that one's kind of our go-to for, for testing too. It's like, okay, will this one work? Let's try it with Mizuna. Oh, Mizuna does great. Okay, let's try it with something else. Uh, so Zoom is one of those that just keeps coming up and astronauts love to eat it too, because it has this, uh, mustardy flavor. It's not a boring green. Um, another one that does really, really well is, uh, uh, outrageous red romaine lettuce. I just love the name of that one. We also have like a dragoon lettuce. That's also a, a red lettuce. And it's, it's kind of fun because there's such a different color than, what you'd expect out of a lettuce. A lot of people think of green when they think of lettuce, and these are like a red, a reddish purplish green, kind of a, a bunch of different colors in the leaves, and they're really beautiful to look at. And uh, and they also taste really great too. They're more of a neutral flavor. It's really fun to see all these leafy greens that we've been growing in space the last few years because the astronauts can eat them right away. We call them pick and eat crops. We we grow them, they can pick them and eat them right away. They don't have to do any preparation because you don't have the kitchen prep that you would have here on Earth in space. You know, we're, we're looking at, not at replacing their diet, we're looking at supplementing their diet. So it's like, okay, they can make lettuce wraps with this lettuce. They can do all these fun things um, with the food that they have. Another thing that grew really, really well in space, that's peppers. Peppers, yes. all right. <laughs> so spicy hot peppers grew in the advanced plant habitat and those did so well and the astronauts loved them and they they took their tortillas and made tacos with them and things when it came time to eat them so those those were one that we were doing a lot of prep work for in advance of putting them up in space and uh Lichelle Spencer really screened a whole bunch of pepper plants and um and Matt Romine as well they they just went through so many different kinds of peppers and they were like okay these do great with LED lighting, but the airflow, the direction of the airflow wasn't quite what we needed. The, the flowers were pointing in a different direction than we expected because of the lack of gravity, basically. <laughs> That's what it came down to. And wow. so the astronauts went in there and hand pollinated them. They took, you know, they took their little tools and they came in and they they picked up some pollen from one flower and moved it over to the other. So the, the astronauts got to be the bees, right? Wow. Um, so it was, it was really great. We ended up with a a couple of great harvests and uh, those peppers just recently came back to earth um, for analysis. When you think about it, plants here on earth, you know, go through a day night cycle. 
and therefore they have a certain length of time for which uh, they can be harvested. How does that change on space station when you can actually have them under light the whole time? Or do you have to take them <laughs> off and make it dark or well? How does that work? That's a great question. If we have too much light, we end up with photo bleaching. And we need to make sure we don't have constant light because those plants need a break. Interesting. So um, we'll have photo periods. Uh, that's the time when the light's on compared with the time the light, lights are off. And so something like 16 hours on, eight hours off in a given 24 hour period is pretty good. Sometimes we do 12 hours on, 12 hours off. It really depends on the crop and what that crop really thrives with. Um, but for a lot of crops, if we do 24 seven lights, it rears them down, their chloroplast break down, they end up bleaching out and they, they aren't appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, they, they've evolved an environment where there's a certain amount of time in light and dark and taking them to space, uh, you know, they need to rest too, just like humans do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But doing that kind of research tells us also that once we establish perhaps plants on Mars, which has about, you know, the same kind of light and dark cycles we have on Earth. You know, one day on Mars mm -hmm. is just a little more a little than 24 longer. hours. Yeah. You know, they ought to do well. We don't, yeah, have, to, we don't sure. have to change their clock or anything, right? <laughs> yeah, their circadian rhythm is going to adjust pretty well. Um, we have plenty of plants here on Earth that that do well in environments where, if you think about in Alaska, there's months where you have sunshine and months where you have darkness. And there are plenty of plants that that can just go dormant and then come back. Uh, so we might have um, variation like that on Mars too, where we have like, okay, in this area, you get more sun this time of the year. In this area, you get less sun this time of the year. And, and depending on where we're growing on Mars, we might have different needs. Well, that's right. There's seasons on Mars too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, every astronaut I talk to that comes back from the International Space Station really loves to go into the module with the plants. Ooh. And, you know, I've been calling that the green effect, no pun intended. <laughs> I love it. Because, you know, <laughs> they get to see the beautiful greenery of the plant. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think there's more to it. Why do you think this is happening? What really piques their interest in these plants? Well, there's the connection to the earth. A lot of astronauts are from agricultural roots. And they've grown up with gardens and they've grown up with plants and they don't realize until it's gone just how much they miss that. Um, another thing we noticed, one of our horticulturists just recently came back from Antarctica. She overwintered in Antarctica and was taking care of a greenhouse the entire time there and supplementing her uh, crew's diet with that. There were 10 people who overwintered in Antarctica and uh, this is called the Eden ISS project, and it's a collaboration with the DLR, which is the German Aerospace Agency. She took care of these plants. She It was a separate module from the rest of what they were living in. So she had to walk in white, white out conditions, following a rope to this greenhouse where she would walk in, she would get rid of all of her winter clothes and she would be in this amazing green lush environment and she would take care of the plants and then she would trudge back with with a cooler full of delicious produce to share with the rest of her crew right and um 
just the fact that she was so isolated and so um such a boring environment all around them i mean antarctica is beautiful some days but other days you just can't see anything it's just white and she was able to come back and 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 have that fresh fruit to share with people and and the crew was like oh can i go help you in there today <laughs> well i think also it's the smells yes the smells oh another thing uh when the world kind of shut down in March of 2020, we had a lot of um, students interested in growing plants. And Jacob Torres, who's one of the horticulturists here at Kennedy Space Center, he started the Spatially Grow a Pepper Plant Challenge. And uh, he sent seeds to teachers and, and students and ended up being a, a big community outreach effort. Uh, where they would grow pepper plants in their house in whatever lighting they had. And and I, I participated in this. I had a little arrow garden that I decided to grow pots of, of pepper plants in. And I had that, that light and we had them in our living room for a good hmm, six months. And it smelled like peppers in our living room as they were fruiting and flowering. And it was just so fun. But eventually, it got to the point where it was like, okay, peppers all the time. Oh, my goodness. When are we going to call this done? <laughs> when are we going to grow something different? Because we would, uh, we would plant other things and have other things growing like beans, but the peppers would just take over. And so that's another thing to consider when growing things. Um, the, the peppers were growing in the advanced plant habitat at the International Space Station, which is enclosed. If they were growing in veggie, it would be a very different experience for the crew. Something we found at our house, which maybe doesn't relate to space flight, I don't know. But with our six pepper plants, we had um, days when there were lots of fruit on those plants. And we'd walk to that corner of the room and our eyes would start watering and it was just spicy tasting the air. <laughs> didn't expect that. <laughs> Well, this brings up, of course, the question about, you know, what do you think are the type of plants we should be growing on the moon and then on Mars? I think that on the moon, it's a great opportunity for us to test things for Mars later, but it's also a great opportunity to test things for the moon. <laughs> um, because I do think that we'll have a sustained human presence on the moon in the near future. I think that we're going to need supplemental food because when we're on the moon, we can get regular food delivery from Earth. It's expensive, it's hard, but it's not impossible. When we're talking about Mars, it's really hard to get resupply out there. We're talking years. And by the time the food gets there, it might not be the best quality. Vitamins degrade over time. We're going to be lacking in vitamin C. That's one that falls apart within a, a year and a half. We're going to be lacking in um, vitamin K is one of my favorites because people don't really know about vitamin K. That one's found in leafy greens and it's absolutely essential for human life. Yeah. So when we're talking about the moon, we're talking about things to supplement the existing food system. When we're talking about Mars, maybe we're talking about more staple crops. Maybe we're talking about the rice and the potatoes and the sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes are one of my favorites uh, because you can eat the leaves too. The young leaves are really, really tasty. Well, what are some of those questions that we need to answer in terms of getting the astronauts to grow their own food? 
say on Mars? So when we're having our astronauts grow their own food, do we want to have them doing the manual labor or do we want to have it automated? How much automation is desirable? And this is actually a trade-off that we see now here with um, vertical farms and indoor agriculture here on Earth. There's some companies that have made the conscious choice to have no automation whatsoever and just rely on their own crew to handle all of the seeding and all of the harvesting and all of that because they found that when they added automation, it added the need for additional engineering staff. And they realized they could actually run a leaner business with their people doing everything. Um, but then there's others that grow really big and the automation is everything and it's an economy of scale. So are we feeding astronauts and having these this food that we make in space be their sole source of nutrition? When we get to that, we're going to need that scale. We're going to need some automation or a lot of automation. When we're looking at supplementing, maybe we don't need that automation quite as much. Maybe we could automate seeding and maybe automate harvesting, but the daily care of those plants, the astronauts would still do and, and take a look at. Um, Another thing that we want to think about is how do we help those astronauts? Are we going to choose astronauts who are agronomists and botanists and horticulturists? Or are we going to choose en engineers? If we need those astronauts to be dependent on the agronomists here on Earth, the ground crews, then we need to make sure that communication is going to be adequate and fast enough and, and good enough. And maybe we'll want some multispectral or hyperspectral imaging on those plants, like we have on the fields here on Earth. The, the USDA and NASA work together to, to get the satellite imagery for the fields, you know. Maybe we need that on the, the crops that are in space and we can, we can talk back and forth and say, you know, these plants are diseased, please call them now <laughs> so that it doesn't spread. Right. And maybe we'll want right. to say, oh, these are dehydrated. There might be a fault in the water delivery system. Please check for that. And who do we send? And who do we send both? Do we send the engineers and the plant scientists? In the last episode, we talked to Dr. Annalisa Paul of the University of Florida, where she and her team were able to grow plants called Arabidopsis thaliana in samples of lunar regolith brought back by the Apollo astronauts. <laughs> really cool. Christina, you also use the same species in your PhD thesis. Isn't that right? Arabidopsis thaliana, the model organism. It's a, it's a mustard relative. People usually don't want to eat it, though. The leaves are kind of unpleasant to eat. So for my PhD, um, I got out to Miami University, which is a small school in Ohio, and I thought I was just going to be in a lab where other people did a bunch of spaceflight research, and I got to look at the plants that came back. But turns out, while I was there, my first semester, I started writing a, a grant proposal for, for getting spaceflight, and turns out that proposal ended up being useful because there was a call that came out suddenly for a series of experiments on the shuttle. Uh, they were looking for three investigative teams to run some experiments in the brick hardware, which is a closed system with Petri plates that you can grow plants in. And uh, our proposal got picked up. I was very excited about that. And so I got to see from start to finish 
what it was like to do a spaceflight study. I got to come out to Kennedy Space Center and, and put my plants, get them into the hardware, get them loaded up in the hardware, say goodbye to them as they loaded them up onto the shuttle. I got to watch the shuttle launch. Uh, I got to watch them come back. Oh my goodness, the shuttle landing is such an experience. Um, and then once they came back, Within a couple hours, those samples were back in our hands and I got to take them back to the lab and start looking at them right away. And I I was so excited for that experience. I I looked at how they grew physically, their their morphology, their physical characteristics, and and that's where I noticed the roots were tilting. That was very interesting. And then we also had um the opportunity to do some transcriptomics on those plants as well. And so I got to see what genes were upregulated and downregulated in spaceflight and the, the differences there. And then I was able to compare my results with the other three investigative teams that also grew very similar plants at the same time under those same conditions. So that was really a great experience for my PhD. Well, I could talk to you forever about some of the research that you're doing and what we also need to do to get ready to live and work on a planetary surface. But um, unfortunately, we must uh, come to a close. So I always ask my guests to tell me the person, place, or event that gave them so much energy, so much excitement that they became the scientists they are today. And I call that event a gravity assist. So Christina, what was your gravity assist? Okay, so I thought a lot about this and I'm gonna talk about two things. So first, when I was a child, I really liked Star Trek The Next Generation. It just came out when I was young and I was very much into the, the world of make-believe. And so I really clung to this one character, Keiko O'Brien. She's the head of the conservatory on the Enterprise. And later she was on Deep Space Nine too. But I thought she was only in a few episodes here and there, um, but she, she would interact with Beverly Crusher, the doctor, and she would like bring in plants and, and, and they would they would kind of have this great exchange of information like, oh, this plant would be good for human health. And, and so in my mind, I built this whole fantasy around Keiko O'Brien. And I would go on xenoethnobotanical expeditions to go collect the best medicines from the most far reaches of the universe. And I would bring them back to my sister who was pretending to be Beverly Crusher. And I would, you know, I would be like, oh, look, I can save your patient because I found this. And she would be like, oh, great. Yes, let's use that. And so Keiko O'Brien was definitely my uh, inspiration for thinking about space and plants. But then that was all fantasy. I had no idea that this was a real area of research until I was an undergraduate at UC Berkeley working in the lab of Dr. Chelsea Specht. And I was working on ginger floral development, you know, beautiful things, very applicable to earth. Ginger's great. I think we should definitely have it on Mars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was like, Christina, you love space. I'm like, yes, I do. I really love space. She's like, and you love plants. Did you know you can bring those two together? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> She's like, I think for your PhD, you should really work with space and plants. And here's a few researchers who do this. And, and, um, and so I wrote a blog entry um, about John Kiss, who does space research. He, he 
had plants growing on the European modular cultivation system. And, and, um, and I, I just wrote a blog entry about him and his research. And he found that blog entry and reached out to me and said, come visit our lab. Let's see if it's a good fit for graduate school. Wow. And, and I was hooked. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I can do space and plants at the same time. <laughs> Your dream came true. Yes. So so my gravity assist was Keiko O'Brien, the fiction. Mm -hmm. But then reality was Chelsea Specht, who, who told me, hey, this is a thing. And then John Kiss, who was like, yes, let's get you. Let's, let's get you into this area of research. <laughs> Fantastic. Christina, thanks so much for joining me for a fascinating look at how we are planning and do grow plants in space well beyond Earth. Thank you so much. Join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist. <laughs>